So let's, um, let's talk about equipping for ministry and for calling. Uh, and I'd like for you to consider this football scenario to start this morning. The team is standing together on the field, heads bowed in prayer with the coach in the center. Suddenly, they give out a great cheer. The huddle breaks up, and the coach trots out on the field by himself. The players go sit on the bench. The sports reporter on the sidelines, shocked, rushes up to a player, sticks a microphone in front of a 250-pound guard and asks, what's the coach doing out there? Oh, he's going to play today, he replies. All by himself, reporter asks. The player responds, sure, why not? He's had a lot more experience and training than all the rest of us. We have a lot of rookies on the team this year. and We might make mistakes. Anyway, they pay the coach well. So we're all here to cheer and support him. And look at that huge crowd that's come to watch him play. And so we watch as the opposing team kicks off. Coach catches the ball, bravely charges up the field, but quickly collides with the first tackler, lands on his back, is immediately buried under 11 opposing tacklers. Half conscious, he's carried off the field, carted to the locker room for the concussion protocol, and ends up out of the game. It's kind of a ridiculous scenario for football. <clears throat> but can I just tell you that, unfortunately, it very often is an accurate picture of many churches in America today? I'm not really sure where the idea originated or where the practice was initiated, although I suspect Satan had a big part to play in it somewhere. But at some point in the church's history, the church started assigning the work of the ministry to the pastor and paid staff. And maybe the thought, or maybe trained pastors may have actually um, taught this concept. The thought was that the ministry is better left in the hands of professionals. And so that left the people in the church <clears throat> with nothing else to do but to come to church and to listen. And so they were told... Every once in a while to bring somebody with you to hear the preacher um, talk about the gospel. So soon Christianity became somewhat of a Sunday morning spectator sport in which the pastor preached and the congregation either clapped and cheered or critiqued and sneered. Most people's image of the church is it's a place where I go to meet with God once a week, period. If I feel good, and that generally translates into the, the music suited me, and if I'm relieved of my burden of sin and lifted up in my spirit, and that's usually the preacher performed to my liking, then the church has met its requirements. And so it's an inward focus on my needs and my wants 
rather than on meeting the lost and the hurting people outside the walls of the church. And that, unfortunately, is a prevalent thought, the line of thought in the majority of churches in America today. I had the privilege of um, teaching prospective ministers um, in Potomac School of Ministry. And uh, one of my favorite courses that I teach is evangelism. And in the textbook, The Contagious Church by Mark Middleberg, uh, he references a survey uh, conducted by Wynn Arne, who's a leading church consultant. And uh, Wynn Arne uh, surveyed the members of over a a thousand churches all around the United States. And he asked the church members this question, why does the church exist? The results of that survey, out of all the members surveyed, 89% said the church's purpose is to take care of my family and my needs. And so for many, the role of the pastor then is simply to keep the sheep that are already in the pen happy and hope not to lose a whole lot of them. And only 11% said the purpose of the church is to win the world for Jesus Christ. That's church members. Church pastors of the same churches were asked the same question. And what is amazing is the results were almost exactly the opposite. Of the pastors surveyed, 90% said the purpose of the church is to win the world to Christ. And 10% of the pastors said is to care for the needs of the members. So with that disconnect, no wonder we have so much conflict and confusion and stagnation in many churches today. So with nearly 90% of American church members attending church just to get their needs met, and their primary duty is simply to sit and soak, then as I said before, they sit for a while, they soak a lot, and then they sour. And that's generally what happens uh, in, in their lives. I shared this in the first service. I'm going to go ahead and do it again. And uh, this possibility that the people I'm talking about will maybe hear of themselves, and I kind of hope they do. Uh, But Linda and I, last Sunday, after the service, went to a restaurant, and uh, we overheard a really entertaining and enlightening uh, conversation uh, from hearing challenged older couple at the table next to us. And evidently, they had just gone to a church to um, try it out for the first time. And, um, and so if you can picture this, um, I'm not the best in hearing, but my wife is pretty sharp. So, so I said, what did they say? She, she would tell me. But while they're eating, you know, not, not much was, else was said, but they would make this statement they don't get quiet and they chew and eat a while and then make another statement. So it, it's, a, it's a probably a 10-minute conversation with just these few things. But the guy said, that preacher went on for 40 minutes. <laughs> 20 minutes is plenty long enough. <laughs> so it kind of got quiet for a while. We listened, you know, I thought, wow, that's interesting. But then he says, do you realize how long we had to stand during the singing part of the service? I bet it was 40 minutes. 40 minutes. And it got quiet you know, a little bit. 
then the next thing he says after a bit, and that preacher was so loud. And it wasn't just in parts of his message. That would be okay. But he was loud the whole time. And then after a little bit, and he used way too much scripture. He read far too much of the Bible when he preached. And so it got quiet. And then after a bit, the wife had been silent for a little while. She said, well, nobody shook my hand the whole time I was there. And... Uh, a little bit later, the gentleman finishes the conversation and says, well, I usually give pretty generously, but I didn't today. And so that was kind of our entertainment last Sunday. And we thought it was kind of humorous. And I wonder how many times it's replicated, you know, for people going home from churches. But what was really sad is that once they finished their meal, they got up and went over to the table uh, other table next to us to some friends of theirs and rehashed the whole thing over and over over to them again and then proceeded to tell them the reasons why they had left several other churches in the recent past. And so it's this mentality that the church exists to meet me and my needs and if I ain't happy, then I ain't going to come in for it. I'm, I'm leaving because so, this is all about me. And so, as to the third power, our, our mission is not to sit, soak, and sour. It's to save, serve, and shape our world through Jesus Christ. It's outward focus in ministry to others. Amen? Yeah. So for whatever reason, uh, many people today think it's the job of the pastor and pastoral staff to do the work of ministry. Now, this is an unbiblical distortion that, that places pastors in an unbearable situation. Pastors have proven, and, and I'm sure you can figure this out, uh, totally unequal to the task of evangelizing the world or counseling the hurt and brokenhearted and ministering to the poor and needy and relieving the oppressed and afflicted and expounding the scriptures and challenging the forces of darkness and evil that are entrenched in our world today. Because pastors were never meant to do it all. Amen. To even attempt to try to do that. They end up frustrated and exhausted and emotionally drained. And unfortunately, that is exactly the state in which you find many pastors today. Unbelievable. Numbers of pastors are leaving the ministry because of the stress. But even should you find a pastor who is almost superhuman and able to accomplish much of all the expectations that are placed upon him, usually his family suffers from his absence and overattention to the expectations at the church. So I just want to say this morning that I am super proud of Pastor Chris for not being here today. <laughs> because he is with his family. He's with Madeline. They're at WVU. And uh, they are celebrating some of her accomplishments this past year. I think it's with a banquet. And that's where he should be today. Amen. That's where he should be. And I'm glad. I am really glad that he realizes that. Uh, because oftentimes because of the 
the stress that's placed upon the pastor and expectations that are heaped upon him, uh, oftentimes the pastor's family is dysfunctional, marriage is strained, and sometimes just falls apart. Now, I know pastors' families can be dysfunctional because I'm, I'm a PK, I'm a preacher's kid. Look at me, and, and look at my family, my kids. No, I'm, I'm teasing, but, but it does happen. It does happen. And so I'm glad, I'm really glad that he is uh, there. And, um, you know, the church is going on. Uh, you know, the amazing thing that, that just kind of uh, speaks straight to your heart is this awesome church about seven years ago now uh, gave me a six-month sabbatical and let me hike the Appalachian Trail. And um, I came back in the church doing great, found me. Okay, that's good. That's good, and um, it's great training for Pastor Chris. Uh, but you know, it kind of helped me to realize, hey, you're not all that. <laughs> and as pastors, we're not supposed to be all that. And so that that fallacy of wherever it came from, that model of a few hired and elected persons doing all the work, while the rest, the vast majority of the people in a a church just sit, uh, that is not scriptural. And so what happens, it reduces the people in the congregation, in the church, to being simply spare parts sitting on the shelf somewhere. And so perfectly good parts, nothing wrong with them, and they just sit there, not being used, waiting for something or someone to break, then taken off the shelf and stuck in their place. And usually the feeling is, well, if I were really that good, I'd have been the one being used in the first place. And so I'm not as good as the one that's doing this. And so I'm an aftermarket imitation that they're sticking in the place because they didn't have anything better. And that's the mentality that sometimes people have. But can I just tell you that God doesn't have aftermarket imitations? You're an original, factory original. In fact, um, the scripture tells us we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God beforehand prepared that we should walk in them. So listen, God made you and designed you and gifted you for service and for ministry, not just to sit somewhere. And so it's quite possible you say, well, I'm, I'm sitting right now because it's not really an opening for me to, to do anything right now. Well, don't just sit there. Find something else to do until God opens an opportunity or a door for you to serve. You say, well, what can I do? I, I, I was thinking several years back, I've talked about this subject. It's been several years ago. Because uh, this kid in the back of the church uh, said, Pastor, I want to get involved. What can I do in the church? And I said, well, what do you want to do? So I don't know. Tell, tell me what you want me to, what, what would be good. And I said, well, you see that piece of paper over there on the floor? I said, anytime you see something that needs to be done, just do it. So like, for instance, that paper, just, just go pick that up and put it in the trash can. And, and just keep looking around at whatever needs to be done and just do it. Said, oh, okay. And then he walked off. The paper's still sitting right there on the floor. And uh, but but he did get it. He got the message because now he's he's involved. He's actively involved in, in ministry and doing what he's 
but he's gifted at. But if you don't have opportunity at that, at that moment, find something and do it and serve. Amen. And God will open up things. If you're faithful in a few things, he'll, he'll give you other things uh, to rule over. And so, again, this, this distortion uh, of uh, thinking the job of the pastor and the pastoral staff is to do all the work of the ministry has resulted in a church in America that's sadly impoverished, that's making little impact on the world today. And it's a church that increasingly is withdrawing into weakness and irrelevance and isolation. And I believe we desperately need to get back to the pattern of the New Testament church that involves God's people in works of service and works of ministry. We can't just cling to the tradition that somehow was handed to us a few years, decades ago, that it's the pastor's job to do all of that. And so pastors must restore to the people the ministry that was uh, taken from them, uh, maybe even with best intentions. So what is the pastor's role? What's the staff's role? What, what is the leader's, church leader's responsibility? Well, there can be no mistaking that because Paul clearly enunciates it in our text, which I'm finally getting to. Aren't you glad? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 12. Paul says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers... Now, most of the time, most spiritual gifts are given by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. But these gifts to the church are given by Christ himself. And it's interesting that, that you know, the apostles and uh, prophets, evangelists, the last two words, pastors and teachers, you notice there's no comma between. And uh, in the original language, the punctuation and uh, the context and other scriptures supporting the fact that it should be pastors and teachers, or pastors slash teachers. And so you can say Pastor Chris, or you can say, you can say Pastor Teacher Chris, or you can say Teacher Chris. You just, he's good. Just, just hey, friend. But, but anyway, <laughs> what is his role? The scripture gives it very clearly. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So according to this passage and others, Christ didn't give pastors to the church to do the work of the ministry. Christ gave pastors to the church to equip God's people for the work of ministry. And that makes the overall ministry much more effective. D.L. Moody said, it's better to put 10 men to work than to do the work of 10 men. So Pastor Chris's primary role is the equipping of the saints, the body of Christ, for the work of ministry. And he's doing a fabulous job with that. He really is. The pastoral staff is doing an excellent job of that. Uh, Pastor Chris proclaims and, and expounds the word of God in a very understandable, relevant way. That results in spiritual growth in his hearers. And so God's word, uh, both as proclaimed from the pulpit and as read and studied in your own private life, equips the believer for service. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And you notice first off that all scripture comes from God. 
All scripture, Paul says, is God breathed. So that means that even though the Bible was written by men, it is inspired by God. So various human authors, around 40 human authors, living in a span of centuries of time in different locations from different backgrounds, each of these wrote the words of God that were superintended by the Holy Spirit, and there's no contradiction. They, they totally agree. It falls into place. Uh, this is the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. The second thing we notice in this passage is that all scripture is useful, particularly for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. Now, we all understand that the teaching aspect of that uh, it simply has to do with the content of scripture and what it says about how we should live, etc. But these other functions are important, too. And so as you read the word of God and you come across a passage that rebukes you, and that has to do with refuting error in your life or convicting you of sin. Uh, what do you do when you come across that passage? Well, you just skip ahead and go to something else real quick, right? <laughs> but then the Holy Spirit won't let you do that. And so you have to come back. You have to deal with that scripture and say, okay, it's, it's rebuking me. The word of God is, is rebuking and correcting. Uh, the word correct is to take something that has fallen down and set it upright. And so the word of God corrects the way we live. And the word that is translated training in righteousness is the word that's used of training and disciplining youth or children. And so God's word is profitable and it's useful and beneficial to the believer. And so then the passage tells us this amazing thing happens when you read and study the scripture. Uh, you find, he's, as Paul says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hearing the word of God proclaimed and reading and studying the word of God equips you for every task that God gives to you. And so it, it places tools in your hand for the work that God gives you. And so when you read a scripture, if you're gifted more toward uh, counseling or something like that, you say, oh man, that's a scripture I can use in, in counseling someone. Or if you're a, a teacher and you're in a Bible study, you come across this passage, oh, I, I can use this. And so these are tools that um, the Word of God puts in your hands to equip you. So, so let's, let's, before we go further, and we're talking about equipping the saints, why don't we define the word equip? It'd be a good idea to know what that is, right? Or do you want to skip that? It means to mend, to repair, to make whole or perfect. And so it means to, for instance, set a bone that's been broken. And oftentimes, I'm told, the broken bone, the place where it's broken afterwards is stronger there. I don't know. It also means to make something or someone completely adequate or sufficient for something. And in the English word, equip, means to furnish for service or action by appropriate provisioning. So you might think of in terms of a paramedic, an ambulance. When they arrive on the scene, as they did a few moments ago, we had a delightful 80-year-old lady that talked to me in the back of the service and was so thrilled to be here. Uh, and she walked out and just standing there, got dizzy and, and, and fell, and I think fractured her wrist. Ambulance showed up. And uh, these are guys that, 
that they're, they're ready, all right? They're, they're equipped to deal with almost any kind of situation. And so in the same way, Paul says, when you know the scriptures, you're thoroughly equipped and ready for any task God may send your way. So how does God equip you for ministry? Well, in the church, God uses pastors slash teachers to equip you for the ministry uh, through preaching and teaching the word of God. And so you think of the various parts of the scripture as the tools that you'll need. And the pastor's job is to teach you how to use those tools of the word of God. Now, the thing about these tools, though, is they're not just regular tools. These are power tools. And to use power tools, what do you need? Power. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in, right? According to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 through 7, the Holy Spirit gives every believer at least one spiritual gift to exercise in the service of the Lord. A spiritual gift is a gift given by the Holy Spirit to enable you and to empower you to serve in the body of Christ. Now, Paul tells us some important things about uh, these spiritual gifts. For instance, uh, he says there's one Holy Spirit, but he gifts us for service in different ways. So we don't all serve in exactly the same way. If everybody did the same thing that that I do, which I'm trying to figure out what I do, now that I'm retired, but say if you, if, if you did the same same thing that Pastor Sam did, you're you're a worship leader. So everybody here's a worship leader. Then all the other things that need to be done are left out. So that one spirit will gift Sam incredibly for that work, and then he'll gift you for another job that needs to be done. One spirit, the same spirit, but different service. So Paul says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. But then he goes on to say that the spirit gives gifts to all believers. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. So that means that if you're a believer in Christ, then God has given you a gift for ministry or to serve the, the, the body of Christ in a special way. So you have at least one spiritual gift, maybe more than one. And so God's gifted you. So what are you supposed to do with that gift? Well, Paul tells you, to each the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And so your spiritual gift is not given to you uh, in order for you to use it to exhaust yourself or to make yourself appear to be really super, super spiritual, to puff you up. But the gift or the gifts that you are to use in serving others for the common good. So the pastors and leaders in the church are to equip believers to do the work of the ministry, according to Ephesians 4. And so rather than do all the work themselves, they're to equip others to serve and find fulfillment in ministry in the church. So as a result, here at Hedgesville Church, we have five or six pastors, and we have over 100 ministers. Isn't that awesome? Do you ever think of yourself as a minister? We have well over 100 ministers in this congregation of this church. Pastor Chris 
is our lead pastor. Pastor Sam is our music and media pastor. Pastor Adam is our youth pastor. Pastor Skip is our children's pastor. Uh, pastor Chantel is our internet congregation pastor. I don't know what the title might be. And then Pastor Don um, is Pastor Emeritus. That's on our web page. That sounds really good, doesn't it? <laughs> Pastor Emeritus. What does that mean? I don't have a clue. <laughs> I, think, I think it just means I can do whatever I want to. But if, I, if I don't want to do it, I don't have to because I'm retired, right? And, and so I get to have the fun thing of just coming and hanging out with you guys, cheering, cheering Pastor Chris on and supporting him 100% and just loving you and seeing what God is doing in an awesome way. Uh, I do. I do love that. And I'm so thankful for the privilege of doing that. But each of these pastors are to equip and train people according to their gifts to minister and to serve in the body of Christ. And then, and by the way, they're doing an excellent job with that. Intentionally, they are doing that. And then each person who has been trained develops and trains someone else to do the same work in the same ministry. And so if for some reason somebody can't show up, there's always another original factory person there ready to step in that God has gifted to use. And that is an amazing, amazing thing for the church. So can't you see here the, 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 the principle of multiplication, our exponential growth? So no longer do we have one gifted pastor serving, but we have many trained and equipped ministers serving with their giftedness. And this multiplies the work and the efficiency of the body of Christ. And as the spiritual gifts of everyone is utilized, the effects are multiplied. And the whole body is built up and it increases in size and strength and effectiveness. So today you might be thinking, how and where can I serve? And what am I supposed to do with my spiritual gift? Or you might even say, well, what is my spiritual gift? And it's something we sometimes think about, particularly as, uh, as we as young people. No, young people, graduation time, uh, think about, okay, what am I going to do with my life at this season? Uh, I'm making plans for my future. Um, what, what am I supposed to do? And one thing to keep in mind is why not try to find your spiritual giftedness? Because the thing that will bring satisfaction and joy and fulfillment to your life Will, will be a career or whatever it is you're doing that is in keeping with the way God has gifted you. So, all right, how do I, how do I find that? What is it that, um, that makes me tick? You know, how, how has God wired me? You know, what, what brings me joy? What excites me? A few ideas can surface if you will... Just read the list of gifts mentioned in Romans chapter 12 and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There, there are some of the gifts listed there. Read over that list and you'll find things like helps, uh, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, administration, mercy, wisdom, uh, faith, etc. And uh, these are just samples that Paul gives. But the thing about it is, uh, if you have that gift, 
it can be used in so many different ways. So, for instance, if a person is gifted in mercy, and we need a lot of mercy uh, people, uh, you can use that gift in medical facilities. You can, you can be a doctor. You can be a nurse. Uh, you, you can work in a hospital or some other kind of medical facility because you have mercy on people. You want to see them whole. You want to see them well. Uh, and so that's a great place to serve if you have that gift. Uh, orphanages. Uh, serve in jail. Don't serve time in jail, but just serve, <laughs> serve people <laughs> that are in jail uh, and, and help them. Uh, ministers to homeless. That's a, in some of the metropolitan areas of our nation, that is a huge ministry. Um, when I rode my bicycle across country uh, this past summer. That's a benefit of retirement, by the way. And I had an awesome time and uh, went down, going down Oakland, uh, down to California coast into uh, Oakland where my son lives. And uh, just in driving downtown, humongous uh, tent cities of homeless people. And uh, they, they have just really sprung up. And uh, years back, I understand that, that Oakland you know, had a, an effort to just get rid of the ugly site. And so they, they actually took huge dumpsters and, um, and loaders down uh, to those sites and began to load that stuff up and put it in dumpsters to haul off. And uh, unknown to them, there was a homeless guy sleeping in one of the tents. And they picked him up and put him in the dumpster, and, 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 he, and he ended up dying. And so they stopped that. They, they stopped us put to that. And so now there's this proliferation of, of homeless people on the street in, in, in tent cities. It's, a, it's interesting because I saw where there were churches and there were people that were actually doing ministry in those areas. That's the gift of mercy in action. Um, so all kinds of ways. Uh, if yours is a gift of exhorting, and uh, one way you can tell if you have that gift if you're a woman is that do you exhort your husband? all the time, and, and husbands can confirm your gift, right? Yeah, she's always exhorted me. Uh, but it can be used in public ministry, uh, as such as preaching or even singing, uh, and it can be used in a smaller context, uh, perhaps in connect groups or Bible studies or whatever, or even a one-on-one conversation. Uh, you can exhort someone. You can encourage someone. You can act, actually admonish someone. And then if you're gifted in administration, that is a powerful gift, and uh, people with that gift can sometimes run large corporations or, or manage smaller uh, organizations. You know, Donna, as our church secretary, she runs the whole place. Uh, she's got the gift of administration. Um, it can include organizational skills or people skills, uh, writing ability. You've got to write out all these policies and procedures. Uh, ability to keep financial accounts or financial records. Those kinds of things are just parts of the gift of administration. And then a gift of helps. This is one that is so exhaustive, exhaustive that it defies categorization because it can be used in so many different ways. Uh, you, for instance, you can pick up paper off the floor. That's the ministry of helps. Uh, maintenance around the church. Um, how do you know you have that gift? Here's the way you know that gift. The gift of helps is finding joy in doing whatever needs to be done as a service to the Lord. If you do that, and all of a sudden, oh, my God, this feels so good. That's a gift of helps. And there's so many ways. You know, just help around the church facilities. This past Wednesday night, an awesome 
baptismal service with a nice big blue tank right here in the front. Clear tank, but blue lights made it look blue. Um, I was here, and one of the guys that came up to the Pastor Chris says, all right, where do you want the tank? And uh, so man, he just saw the need, took care of it right there, bang, it was done. Did all of that. Um, it's exciting to see these gifts come together. Uh, you can help in the office, church office. You can cook a meal for somebody in need. That's a gift of helps. Uh, help in children's ministries. Uh, you can rake leaves for the neighbor. That's a gift. Uh, you can help a widow with car repairs or watch the kids of a single parent or just be on hand to help someone that has a need at a time of need. That's the gift of helps. And, and it can be used in so many different ways. So just scratching the surface, but, but I want you to think in terms of God has gifted me. I, I want to use my gift for him. Now you say, well, I, I just don't know what my gift is. Well, you don't have to identify your gift to start using it. In fact, most of the time, the way you find your gift is trial and error. It's a process. And so you maybe there's something you're interested, interested in doing, start doing it. Or maybe the Lord lays something on your heart, and you start doing it. And if you do it, you say, man, this is really tough. I, I, man, I don't, these, kids, these screaming kids are about driving me crazy. Then that's probably not your gift. <laughs> find something else. You eliminated that. And so you, you do something, and all of a sudden you say, oh, this is, this is, this is I love this. And, and I'm, I think I'm doing pretty good. Everybody says I'm doing a great job. I love this. Then, then that, that is your gift. That could be your gifting, one of your giftings. And so find what it is that God has gifted you and minister through that gift. If the worship team will come, we'll close here. Why don't we just go ahead and stand? The work of ministry belongs to you, the entire body of believers who should be equipped, guided, and encouraged by those who are gifted by God to expound and apply his word with wisdom and power. That's Pastor Chris. The entire body has received gifts from the Spirit. And the task of the pastor and leadership is to encourage them to discover and exercise those gifts. When we follow that pattern and the strategy of Ephesians chapter 4, and we have given all believers their God-given role as ministers in God's plan, then the entire body of Christ comes alive with spiritual power. Lives are transformed. Ministry explodes. Communities are touched and healed. And the church becomes healthy and vital and exciting. The trademarks of a vibrant and alive church are boldness, power, transformation, and love lived out in acts of kindness and ministry and service to our community. There's no place more exciting to be than a church that operates as God designed it. Now, I don't know that Hedgesville Church is there yet. I don't think we are, but we are really working on that, and we're getting there. Now, I can't tell you how exciting it is for the pastoral team of this church to see you involved in ministry. Last Sunday morning, the ladies' tea, I was downstairs. Not as a lady, but I went down to hand 
my wife some stuff that she needed. And here's this, here's this setting that's so organized. And I don't, there wasn't a pastor that did that. There was someone that had that gift of administration, did an awesome job uh, doing that. Um, we, have, we have so many teams. And so as Pastor Chris said in his video, uh, if you haven't gotten plugged into a place of service yet, um, fill, out the, fill out the card or see one of the pastors and uh, say, yeah, I want to be a minister. I want to be a minister at Hensonville Church. And I want to serve people and I want to serve the Lord with my gift. And there'll be a place for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Father, we thank you so much today for your grace, your mercy, your calling upon our lives. Thank you, O oh God, for this awesome congregation of people that uh, have caught the vision, that have been given the opportunity and are being taught to use their gifts to the presence of your kingdom. Bless them, anoint them, and empower them, God, to carry out their work with greater effectiveness, we pray. We ask, oh God, that you'll be with Pastor Chris and, and minister to him as he is with his family today and uh, bring him back next week to deliver a, a powerful message to us. And we just thank you so much. We pray, God, for those here today that perhaps have never really committed their lives to you this, yet. I pray this morning, oh God, that you would just by your spirit speak into their hearts. And if they have not yet surrendered to you, may this be a day in which they say, Lord Jesus, I've sinned. I've, I've I've missed the mark. Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you come into my heart and my life and cleanse me of that by your precious blood on the cross that you, that you shed there? And come and live in my heart. Give me victory over my uh, sin and help me to follow you. May that be a prayer that will come from their hearts today, Lord. Would you hear and answer according to your mercy and your grace and your love? Bless each one as we walk in this place today as ministers of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.